0: Hey, welcome to Midtown Fellowship. It's great to have you with us. Do you ever wonder what it means to be a Christian? Or what does the Bible teach? Maybe what does the church believe? Or maybe even what do you believe? Well, for generations, the church has had creeds to help answer those questions and operate a statement of faith. So join us this summer. We're going to dive into one of the oldest of the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, to try to find some of those answers ourselves. If you'd like more information, you can go to midtownfellowship.org, but we would love for you to join us for worship at 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday morning. Hope to see you there. So, uh, starting last week, we are in a series on the Apostles' Creed, and... Uh, We started by talking last week about what is a creed, like what does that mean, like the Apostles' Creed, and what we talked about is that it's basically a statement of faith. It's like if there's one thing you need to know about this, it's in the creed. Like, It's almost like when you take your kids bowling and you pay them extra to have those bumpers come up in the gutter, and so the ball doesn't go into the gutter and it eventually hits something, a creed... Like when we read this, sometimes we're not sure what it means, but a creed helps us guide, it becomes a guide for us to know what it doesn't mean. So that we know here are, here's the outline of the main purpose from Genesis to Revelation, and a creed unites us in that belief and gives us some understanding as we approach scripture. So last week we talked about the first statement, I believe in, we just read it. And today what we're gonna talk about is the second sentence there, I believe in God, the Father of Almighty. God the Father of Almighty, of Almighty. God the Father Almighty. I, I don't know why it's stuck an oven there, but it's there. It's not there. What does that mean? Like, what does it mean for us? First, let's go backwards. That God is Almighty. What does that mean that He is Almighty God? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. And what it doesn't mean is uh, in about two weeks, some of you know that. Um, I'm heading to Africa with African leadership, and we're going there to encourage the pastors there and people that are trained to be pastors. Um, I'm not going to make Emily stand up unless you want to stand up and come give the sermon because that's what you're going to do to me in Africa, isn't it? That's exactly what you're going to do. Hey, Randy, get up and give a sermon or something. And so we leave on the 28th, and let's just think for a minute how many things could go wrong between now and the 28th that would make getting on that plane impossible. Could we do that just for a minute, Emily? I'm gonna freak her out, all right? Think about this, I could get COVID, right? I could get COVID before and that's gonna kill the trip. Or I could get the flu. If I got the flu, I'm not sure I would go, all right? Just because I'm a woman. If I got poison ivy, I'm not sure, I just want you to know. Have you ever sat on a plane for 27 hours with poison ivy? Raise your hand if you've done that. See, none of you have done that, all right? Why should I do that? If I won the lottery, if I won the lottery, I'm not sure I'd go. I'm just saying, all right? I'm sorry. If I woke up tomorrow and I just won $100 million, I'm just saying, I might go, I'll pay somebody else to go. (laughs) I'm busy. I got money to spend. Or, hey, if Justin Timberlake called me this week and said, I'm throwing a party and I want you to come preach on the 28th, I might not go. That just may... Or the plane could break down. The mechanic of the plane could have an argument with his wife and not show up for work, so he's not going to fix it and we don't go. I don't know. KLR could go on strike. There could be a war that breaks out between Rwanda and Congo. And that's not outside the realm of possibility. And we wouldn't go. In other words, what I'm saying is I have zero control. I have no control over what's going to happen next. I have no control on what's going to happen this afternoon. I have no control on what's going to happen tomorrow. I have no control. In fact, you having this idea that you have control is an illusion. It's an illusion. You have no control. And as much as we're willing to embrace that we have no control, that should be the exact opposite of how you understand when God says he's almighty. Because when he says that he is almighty, there is zero In the universe in the world that we know it and the heavens that has authority over God nothing God is not a victim to circumstances God is not a victim to accidents God doesn't sit in heaven and say to the angels I hope the weather works out so that we can do that thing tomorrow that's not God at all God is not a slave to any accidents that may occur along the way that may make the plans not work out the way that he wants those plans to work out He's not a victim to people getting sick or other people getting sick. He's not a victim to your schedule, anybody else's schedule, or how you plan your schedule, or how you don't plan your schedule. God is greater than all those things. He's greater than evil, unexpected evil, planned evil, premeditated evil. Do you know that the Lord is not even, he doesn't subject himself even to time. The time was what he made. And time was made by our almighty God to serve his purposes and to glorify him. He's not a slave to time. I mean, if we had time, we could get into the whole weird philosophy of that, which if you ever want to geek out, <clears throat> I'm in. All right. God is the creator. He didn't create all things. He did create everything, but he's also the sustainer of all things. He is the one that knows every star by name. He's named every one of them. In other words, what I want you to understand is God is not powerful. God is power. Everything that we get power from finds its root in him. God is not love or loving. He is love. He is the fountainhead of everything that we know that love is. God is not graceful. God is grace. God is not hopeful. He is hope. God is not Rich, he is the wellspring of all wealth. God, he is not the source of life. God is life. In other words, all things are under his lordship, and he is all things. He is God Almighty. And here's what should blow your mind. The way God wants you to understand that, the way he wants you to get it, is by a name. Now, let me try to explain. So couples have come to me for pre-marriage counseling, you know, and, um, and they come in and, I, you know, we have fun. And I ask them, so, you know, why you guys want to get married? And I will turn to her and go, what is it about this guy that makes you want to pledge your whole life to him? Uh, and they usually say something like, he's so handsome. He's just so <laughs> handsome. And I go, that is amazing. I said, just honestly do you think he's the most handsome person in the world? And they, if they're honest, they go, well, there's probably people more handsome. So that's not the ultimate reason, right? She goes, well, he's so smart. I'm like, that's great. He's, it's good to marry somebody smart, all right? As opposed to somebody who's dumb. You just, smart's better, all right?" And I said, but he's the smartest. And they're like, uh, not the sharpest tool in the shed, but pretty sharp. And I said, what else? Well, he's so kind. Well, is he the kind? Well, okay, he's not the kindest person on the planet, but he's pretty kind. He's pretty kind. And we could go down the list, and eventually the bride gets frustrated and says, okay, 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 okay. Why do I want to marry him? Because he's John or Bert or Frank. You fill in the name. In other words, what they're saying is, I can give you these attributes, and I I can tell you attributes about him But they're all brought together in his name. It's John. That's John. And his name represents the collective of those attributes. And your God, the God that we worship, says, I want you to have a name for me. Now, this whole idea of God having a name, it goes all the way back. I mean, we can go back to the Old Testament, and we can... Like maybe you've heard the name Elohim, you know, the name of God. And even that name, we're not really sure what it means, how to translate it. We know it alludes to things like power. It means, you know, royalty. It's this high and lifted up name. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible in the Old Testament has tons of names for God. And the reason that he has tons of names for God is that God wants us to understand things about him. Like when he calls himself El Shaddai, like have you ever heard that one? El Shaddai? Isn't there a song about that? Some of you old schoolers, you know? Wasn't it Amy Grant who saying, Amy? That's old school good right there. And that's sad for me to call Amy Grant old school. I just want you to know that. Because that means I'm old school, all right? What does El Shaddai mean? It well it means God Almighty. It means that he is in control of all things. There's nothing outside of his control. He's working all things together according to his glory and according to his purpose and his good is for us. But there's also El Elyon, which means uh, the most high God. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Then there's El Olam. He's the everlasting God that he is from old and no time can confine him and he is eternal. Then there's the whole Yahweh names. Like there's all kinds of You know, Jehovah Jireh, maybe you've heard that. Yahweh Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Have y'all ever heard that one? Jehovah Jireh? Isn't there a song about that too? I I know. I'm not going to sing any of them. But think about that. Have you ever been in a season in your life where you have wanted and you needed, that you didn't have enough, whether it was friends, whether it was money, whether it was a job, whether it was resources, that in some way your life was literally lacking? And God says, where the name. Jehovah Jireh. I am the provider. But also there's Yahweh Nisi, which is the Lord is my banner. And I don't, we can get into that, man. We could talk about that forever. What is a banner? You're not standing on a hill alone, as Isaiah 55 talks about. You're standing in a community of people that call you brothers and sisters. The baptism that we just did with the cards. They're not alone. That a banner that you're not just with a group of people. This isn't like Sunday morning coffee club. This is the family of God. We have been redeemed. See you guys later. See you, Cooper. Bye (laughs) bye. I get it, man. Come get your baptism, then you're gone. Get what you want, then you're out. Okay. All right, Blake. Got some work to do with that boy. Uh, (laughs) The reason I can do that is because this isn't a performance right we're not doing a show in here we're coming together as the body of christ under the banner of christ as his people to exercise what it means to be a family lots of names yahweh mechadisham you heard that one i thought i could find one you haven't heard of the lord is your sanctifier you know what that means have you ever tried to improve yourself has there ever been something in your life you wish you could get out and something in your life you wish you could get in the Lord is my sanctifier means the Lord is the one that's at work within me to accomplish his purpose, to grow me into the fullness of what he's made me to be. We can go on and on. Uh, but God all throughout the Old Testament gave himself names that we could have to anchor into his identity and who he is. And here's what's amazing is that when Jesus, when Jesus showed up, he took all those Old Testament names all those attributes of God. He took all these, this big list of Yahweh's and El's and all those things and he lumped them all together in one name and that one name is Father. Think about that for a minute. Jesus says all the power, all the controller, all the sanctifier, all the shepherd, all those names. Jesus is saying you need to know him with one name and that is Father. When the disciples asked Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Uh, What were the first two words in the prayer? Our Father. That when you come to God, the first thing you need to remember is that he is your Father that you're talking to. That's a little complicated for us, because Happy Father's Day, by the way, for all you dads and for all you people that have dads. Everybody else, I don't know what to say to you. Um, You know, Father's Day is a complicated thing, For a lot of us, like some of you have had incredible fathers. Some of you have had dads that you model your life after. Like your dad always was there at the right time. He always had the right thing to say. He always did the right thing in your life. And you've got super dad. And man, that is just such a blessing and legit that God has given some of you amazing fathers that on Father's Day, you love to celebrate them. And they're a gift in your life. They're not perfect, but they are a gift. Now, some of you had dads that just weren't great dads. Like, maybe they were men that never learned how to express themselves. So when they were with you, they didn't know how to express themselves. Or men that never learned how to have healthy relationships. And because they never learned how to have healthy relationships, uh, they didn't know how to have a healthy relationship with you. They were men that grew up thinking that, I, I don't know how to engage with my own heart. I don't know how to be present with me. And so as they're raising you, they never knew how to be present with you. And some of you are still experiencing some of the pain of having fathers that, I'll say this, I won't preach on it, but it's almost like we have to grow away from them. Like for us to mature and grow, as we talk a lot about here at Midtown, it's almost like we have we have to walk away from our father's tradition and we have to walk into a new tradition and they weren't evil men and they're just they were just men that just didn't know how to bring it they didn't know how to encourage they didn't know how to give life words i don't know some of y'all have that so father's day for you huh it's okay like you'll call your dad maybe or your kids will call you you know You don't really give gifts. You're like, hey, just thinking about you. and You do the right thing because you're good. Some of you have dads that were evil. Let's just be honest. Some of you, your fathers, it wasn't that they didn't know how to do life, but the way they did life hurt you deeply. Men that were addicted, men that abused you, men that took advantage of you. Some of you, Father's Day is really hard because it brings up a lot of wounds inside of you. And I respect that. And trust me, I, I know the journey that you're going on to be healthy because you've got to go on that journey because regardless of what your father has done to you, those issues are your now. They're yours. Like learning how to live a different life, learning how to deal with trauma, learning how to grow out of what happened to you. That's hard. It takes a community. It takes a lot of effort. And I want you to know you're not alone. Regardless, great, but not perfect, to okay, just not present, to evil. We all have an idea of what it means when we say Father. And it's kind of our go-to. We kind of slide into that old definition of Father. And when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus says, I have to radically transform the way you understand Father. I have to. Because if I don't, you're going to get stuck in your old definition of father and you're not going to understand who God really is because he is expressing his almightiness, his godness in the name father. Romans 8. This is verse 14. Paul says, for those who are led by the spirit of God, we're the children of God. We're his kids. The spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. That's old. That's the old life. Before you knew Christ, you were a slave to sin and fear was the language of that kingdom. But when Christ came in and redeemed us, now we're not a slave anymore and fear no longer is our language. Now we know, we understand the gift of fear and we let fear be something that is a gift from the Father that guides us, but it's no longer what enslaves us. A whole other sermon. But he goes on to say, this spirit who you received brought you brought about your adoption as sonships, and by him we cry out, Abba, Father. In Romans chapter eight, the Holy Spirit is doing something in us day and night, and he is crying out, Abba, 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 Abba. Why? (coughs) Out of all the things the Holy Spirit could be crying out, why did not he go, obey, 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 obey? Treat people with respect, treat people with respect. Listen, 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 listen. Give, 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 give more, give more, give more. Like, there's a thousand things the Holy Spirit could have said. Stop smoking, you know? Don't eat ice cream. Like, I don't know. Abba. And it's, Abba's not just father. Abba is the word for daddy. It is the most intimate. Like, I can call you, hey, happy Father's Day, father. But that's not the same as your children coming and crawling in your lap and going, Daddy. And that's what the Spirit says. Keep saying it, Daddy, Daddy, Father, Papa. Why? Well, let's try to understand. So we're gonna go to a passage of scripture. We're gonna hit the pedal down hard. We're gonna go fast, you ready? So we're going to Luke chapter 15. It's a very familiar story. Some call it the story of the two sons. Some call it the prodigal son. Some even call it the prodigal father. Because prodigal means extravagant. It means almost reckless. We just sang about God's reckless love. I'll let you decide who's the prodigal in this story. Is it the father? Is it the son? But here's what's happened. And I'll just give you, like, just an overview. Luke chapter 15 is an amazing chapter in the Bible. If you say, what should I read this week? Luke 15. First is the story of a shepherd Who has a hundred sheep, he lost one, he leaves the 99 and he goes find the one. Y'all remember this, have y'all heard this? Leave the 99, I think there's a song about that too. And he, he goes after the one and when he finds him, guess what he does, calls all his friends together, goes party, party, we're gonna throw a party. Then there's the story of a woman who lost a coin, one coin, sweeps her whole house, goes phonetic over trying to find this coin, finds it, calls all her friends, party, party. And then there's the story of these two boys which leads to a party. So has two sons and the younger one, uh, you know, like all younger siblings are, uh, said, you know what? This farm life just named for me. And uh, went to his dad. And he said, hey, dad, I know that when you die, I'm going to inherit half of your estate. My brother will get half. I'll get half. You're going to split it. Here's the deal. I can't wait that long. And it's not like I want you to die, but I kind of want you to die. Like, I want all the stuff that's coming to me. Like, can I have that now? Now, culturally, Jesus is setting up, we don't understand it completely because of our culture, but this family's wealth was rooted in generation of generations of getting land, building estates. Actually, it probably took three or four generations to create what they had created, and all their wealth was in their land so the younger son was basically saying to dad will you sell off part half of all that you own that took four generations to get so i can have some cash in my pocket radical so the dad says okay the young son packed his bags all this new cash he had hit the road and went to nashville he was here for cma fest last week you should have seen him (laughs) Not pretty. He wasn't doing well around 3 a.m. down on Broadway. It is not a happy place, trust me. So he had a good time, collected a lot of friends. I mean, money will do that. Collected a lot of friends. They partied hard until it was all gone. And guess what happens when all the money's gone? All the friends go too. And we have the sad story of this young man who is penniless now after squandering half of generational wealth And now he's sitting on a farm, because he went back to the only thing he knew, which was farming, and he's feeding pigs. Feeding pigs. And what he's longing for is these pigs are eating better than I am. And he thinks to himself, my dad's servants back home, they eat better than this. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to negotiate to become my father's slave. Now remember Romans 8. So he goes back home. Verse 20. This is Luke chapter 15. This is verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father. He got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The first thing that I want you to know about father, because we're redefining the term father. Father Almighty, Abba, the first thing you need to know is your father. He is a moved father. What I mean by that is that word compassion in the Greek, it actually means to be moved in your bowels. Let's stop and think about that for a moment, shall we? Have you ever had that moment in your life? (laughs) Maybe it's happening right now. You've had too much coffee and you're thinking to yourself, I may have to get moving. Okay, because something else is moving. I need to move. And so maybe you've been in a meeting and you're like, legs don't fail me now. And you're trying to get quickly to el baño to make take care of el businesso, all right? That's, that's what it means here. It means that something deep in your bowels is rumbling to get your tail off your chair and get moving. And why would scripture use that analogy of a father? Because what's moving our father that he can't contain, that he can't stay seated for, that makes him not just get up but run is you. Your father is so moved by love for you that he wasn't content to stay in heaven. Like he had to leave heaven and came to earth in the form of man to give his life for you. That's how moved he is. In fact, have you ever read the 23rd Psalm? I mean, of course you have. Or have you heard it read? Maybe you've never read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, it's that Psalm that everybody reads, you know, like at funerals and stuff to comfort us and guide us. It's just a sweet Psalm, you know? I lay down in fields, you know, pastures, you know, green, I'm butchering it, all right? But there is a violent line in there. It's violent. Because in verse 6, it says, His goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Hello? You, have you heard that before? Or, am I the only one here? All right. <laughs> Let me translate for you the original language. Your goodness and your mercy, we translate it, shall follow me all the days of my life. Real transition is, your goodness and your mercy shall hunt me down my entire life. Our father is a father that is moved by love for us and is running toward us. In Psalm 139, this is a passage that I'm so familiar with because have you ever run from God? Like, have you ever, like, I'm done. I don't want to think about God. I don't want to talk to God. I don't want to be around God's people. I just want to run. Well, in Psalm 139, it says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I run away from you to heaven, guess what? You're there. If I make my bed in the depths at the bottom of the sea, you are there. If I rise, if I spring wings on my back and I I fly as fast as I can to the dawn, if I settle on the other side of the ocean, even there, your hand will stop. Your hand will do what? Your hand will what? I'm running from you. What is your hand gonna do when you catch me? So when I was in high school, my buddy John Robert it was a Friday night, he came over and he said, Hey man, these girls that we liked, they said, like, hey, they're they're gonna meet us up at McDonald's. Is there any chance that your dad can lend us his car and let's go see him? And I'm like, Oh, this is so exciting. So I went to dad, father, Fajah. You are so kind and wise in all your ways. Please, Father, would you let me borrow your car? And he goes, nope. But you can borrow your mother's car. And I'm like, cha-ching, win. So we jump out into my mom's car. I'm revving it up. I'm looking at John. I'm like, here we go. And I pop it in reverse and gun it. And I backed my mom's car into my dad's car. (laughs) I wrecked both my parents' cars in one second. I did that I really did that I didn't make that up so you tell me who was the last person I wanted to see my dad I did not want to go in there are you kidding me I wanted to hide under a rock when we're running from God it's not because we're laughing and we're playing a game catch me if you can we're running from him because there is shame in our lives there's guilt in our lives there's disappointment in our lives and I, I want to tell you something that it was funny about, in, not in a ha-ha kind of way, but in an odd kind of way. So I'm sitting out there with John, and we're talking, and I'm like, oh, my dad's going to kill me. Like, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. What am I going to do? And I literally thought, my dad, like, he's going to emotionally kill me or relationally kill me or kick me out of the house. I mean, I was pretty close already, and I'm, I'm distraught, and I'm feeling shame and guilt and just... I'm such an idiot, and I'm just destroying myself. And then it did something. It turned to anger. And let me tell you what what happened in me. What kind of person parks their car behind another car in a two-car garage? This isn't my fault, this is your fault. And my, my fear turned to anger, which turned to blame. And I do the same thing with God. I know I'm running away from you, but look what you've done. You didn't rescue me from that. Oh, you're God Almighty. You could have changed that whole scenario with that dating situation in college, and you didn't. Oh, who do you think you are? You're not a good dad. I know exactly what you are. When we run, there's a lot of reasons we run. Why do you run? So when God finally catches us, his hand will what? Will it crush us? Will it grab us by the back of the neck and turn our head around and go, how many times do I have to come out here and get you? (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) That was too familiar. (laughs) Look what it says. What will your hand do? It will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, And the light becomes night around me. It is so dark that even light is dark. Even in the darkness, it's not dark to you. My darkness will shine like a day. For my darkness is light to you. And do you know why we're afraid of the dark? Because there's no light. So my father comes in and he guides me and he holds me. He cares for me and turns on the light. So my father is a compassionate father. He runs after me. He's also a kissing father. We don't have time this morning. We're almost out of time. He, you know, I'm not sure what that kid smelt like, but it wasn't good. And, and the father was kissing all that that wasn't good. The one who knew no sin became our sin, our stink. He wore our stink so that we could wear his aroma. But listen what it says here in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. against you and i'm no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to the servants before his son could even get the rest out he said quick bring the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet bring the fatted calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate but meanwhile the older son he was in a field, and when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. and So he called one of the servants and asked them what was going on. He said, your brother's come. And your father's killed the fatted calf because he was, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatty calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother's brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Listen to what the father said to him. We had to celebrate. We had to be glad. See, when the father runs after me, I love a father who comes after me with hugs and kisses. I do, I love that. I love the hugs and kisses. But you need to also know that he's also a father. There's not a parent in this room that doesn't understand this. And if you don't understand this, please let me be the one to turn the lights on today. If you're a parent in this house today, guess what? You are the law in your home. Hate to break it to you. You're the disciplinarian. You are the captain of no, you are. You are the cause of pain. Go to your room. Give me your phone. You can't go. You can't wear that. You can't say that. If you're a parent here, you gotta know to your kids, you're the killjoy. You're the party pooper. Because you're training people to be better humans when those humans don't understand what you're doing. A good parent is a parent who brings discipline into the lives of their children. And when we call God our Father, we don't just say he's hugging and kissing us. i got to warn you, he's also coming in with discipline. Why? And here's the crazy thing and the painful thing. He often is fighting for you against you. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, my son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. He's not saying, if by chance at some point in your life the Lord finds a reason to discipline you, don't be surprised. No, 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 he's saying this is normal for us as christians he says my son do not make light of the lord's discipline it's coming and don't lose heart when he rebukes you he's going to because the lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastises everyone he accepts as sons and daughters that is the normal life of believers and discipline means two things real quick one is when I go walking over here at Lipscomb's football field, they're in the middle of two-a-days. Y'all may not know what that is, but their football team is getting ready for the fall, and these poor high school students are being abused by their coaches. <laughs> they are run faster, more, more, and more. And you see kids over there, and they're re-examining what they had for lunch once again, you know. And you realize those coaches know something the kids don't know. What they know is that there's a war coming. And that war is the first game of the season. And they know how strong the opponent is. And those coaches, against the will of these players, against the will of these players, I just want to go home. Go light on us today, coach, please. Against their will is preparing them for war, for victory. The Lord is no different. He brings discipline on us. I know you don't want to pray. Come on. I know you don't want to open up scripture. Come on. I know church. I don't feel like getting up and going to church. Come on. I know I don't want to go to small group. I know I don't want to confess my sins to my brothers and sisters. I know I don't want to be vulnerable and honest with my spouse. Come on. The Lord's saying, come on. I know. I know. I know this is going to make you throw up. Or it's going to make you want to throw up. But I am bringing you into the school of discipline to equip you and train you for the war that I made you for. But the other discipline is this. And this is what it says in verse 7 of Hebrews 12. Endure hardship, all hardship is discipline from the Lord. God is treating you as his child. For what child is not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters, but you are true sons and daughters. You can go read the passage. What that means is God is committed to exposing sin in your life. He is committed to not let sin have its grip on you. When I hide sin, when I run away from sin, when I don't confess sin, when I keep it in the dark, all oh, the toxicity and power it has to build bitterness, harden my heart, and even turn me away from the Lord. And the Lord is committed against those things. For you, even when you're committed to keeping it. And there's going to be times where he steers you in your heart. He may be doing it right now, where he's giving you conviction about a sin in your life that you need to confess and you need to put down. And you need to ask the Lord and your community to help you fight against that sin. But maybe not. One of my good friends, who's a great mentor and a counselor, he was a very visible man of ministry about 10 years ago. And he'd spent his life hiding an addiction, and it came to life. And it came to life ugly, like public. And I remember sitting with him after he'd gone public, and he'd lost everything. And he said to me, I am crushed, I am destroyed, I am discouraged beyond belief, and I don't think I can go on. That was 10 years ago. If you sat with him today, he'd say, that was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. Why? because Jesus was breaking the chains that he was committed to keeping on. And that's our Father. And the only way I can actually draw near to a Father that does that, because that's scary. That is so scary. That Jesus, you're going to come and fight for me, against me? That is so scary. I got my life lined up. I know what I want my life to look like. And I know what I don't want anybody to know about. And the Lord says, you know, I'm not trying to expose you to hurt you. I'm trying to bring you to life. That kind of God, Father, is scary. Unless I read the rest of the story. Because the rest of the story is the father threw a party. Your father, he is crazy about parties. And I can tell you, uh... As a father of three, I've been to more parties than than most people in this room. Uh, I think there wasn't a, a 10 year stretch where we weren't at least two kids' birthday parties on a Saturday. And you go to these kid birthday parties and all the parents, they look, like comatose, you know, they're sipping coffee, their eyes are barely awake, and their cupcakes flying everywhere. So they're going down. The kids are eating sugar and they're going up. It's chaos, you know? But the parents have been there and they're bored. Like, I okay. We love our kids. All right, we love our kids, but let's be honest, we are bored out of our mind. We just can't wait till that party is over with. And sometimes there's only one person that's excited about that party. It's the kid who's being celebrated. Trust me, you're never bored when there's a party celebrating you. And Jesus says that he is the God that moves towards you with compassion, he moves towards you with kissing, and he's going to move towards you with discipline to raise you up in strength because he celebrates you. He rejoices over you. And he has to do it. That's your father. That's the one that we believe in. Our God, Father Almighty. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you. I um, sometimes have a really hard time just believing that you are those things. It's hard, I don't know, Lord, sometimes it's harder to trust your compassion than it is your discipline. In fact, sometimes I feel more at home in your discipline than I do in your kisses. But I thank you, Father, that you are not afraid of any of those places in us. That you are God the sanctifier. The Father who loves his kids and celebrates over them. And so, Lord, let us experience your celebration over us and guide us in your truth. In Christ's name, amen.